Anybody actually been to Bethlehem? Yeah, a few of you. I mean the real place, right? The town in the West Bank where you can visit the Church of the Nativity, the oldest site of continuous Christian worship in the entire world. This place that was constructed in the middle 300s by Helena, the mother of the Emperor Constantine. Helena believed that she had located the very site where Mary gave birth to Jesus so many years ago. So the Church of the Nativity is built on that, on that site. And it's a, it's a pretty heavily contested place, right? There's all these various factions of monks. There's Greeks and Armenians and Catholics all vying for control. And every so often they erupt into open warfare, hitting each other with broom, broomsticks and things like that. You can see YouTube videos of the monks fighting in the Church of the Holy Nativity if you want to. That's a, that's a situation that is, to various degrees, all over the Holy Land these days. That was true 2,000 years ago. That is still true in our day. The child of peace was born into a world of pretty intense conflict, both political and religious. So I was in Bethlehem a few years ago. I was there on, on a pilgrimage. I was, was with a bunch of pilgrims from San Antonio. We went to see the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem one day, this fabled shrine, right, this ancient site. So you go down underneath the high altar inside the basilica, and there's the grotto where it is believed Mary gave birth to Jesus. And there's this, I mean, I think rather gaudy 14-pointed star there on the ground that marks the supposed spot. Faithful pilgrims have been kneeling and kissing the stone for thousands of years in veneration. And it's, it's kind of a kitschy place. You know, the walls are festooned with tired old leather hangings and there's icon reproductions and candles and lamps galore. Every surface is like encrusted with dingy silver and tacky jewels and gold plating, this monument to centuries of devotion. We trooped down there, our little band of pilgrims, just as a Catholic priest was coming in to say mass in Latin, we each took our, our brief turn to kneel there at this shrine, right? The Holy of Holies in, in Christian tradition, to kneel, to touch the birthstone and I'm there, I'm kneeling on the floor, and I found myself getting, like, so angry. <laughs> There's this, like, dawning sense of irritation coming over me. It was, it was stuffy in there, it was hot, I, was, I, was, I felt suffocated, it was gaudy, it was tacky, like a third-rate thrift store, nothing like this, the holy shrine I thought I was coming to. And then my rational brain, you know, how it kind of takes over, I start throwing a little bit of a a little bit of a temper tantrum inside my own mind. Like my, my snarky 13-year-old self came out to play. What do you mean this is a site where Mary gave birth to Jesus? I mean, you think she marked it with a little flag after it all happened? You think Joseph used the first century version of spray paint and tagged JC was here on the rocks? Like, you, you've got to be kidding me. My, my, you know, my Western Protestant rational seminary trained mind is like on a roll by this point, right? The historical evidence for a Bethlehem birth is shoddy at best. So what the heck do all these people think they're doing kneeling down to kiss a stone upon which in all likelihood absolutely nothing has ever happened? We're just passing around cold germs down here through the centuries, pretending this is a, a holy site. It's, it's a hole in the ground, for heaven's sake, dressed up, fought over for centuries. This is sham. This is fakery. It's flim-flam and tomfoolery. I was in high dudgeon by this point. I'm a little, I mean, I'm frankly becoming a little bit of a brat there in the grotto, fuming away silently. Christmas is ruined. The shrine is a fake. Everything is horrible. I'm done. I'm sure you have never had a meltdown like that. 
So I, my stakes in Christianity, I, I would have told you before this all happened, my stakes in this thing have never been dependent on needing certain things to be historically verifiable, right? That's not why I thought I was in this whole game to begin with. I didn't become a priest because I believed that Jesus was born in, you know, this particular spot, in this particular cave, around this particular year. Those details are interesting to speculate about. They're not the center of my faith or my spirituality. But on that day in Bethlehem, all of my you know, my fancy postmodern hermeneutics, these ways of navigating text and tradition that I've been trained in, like all of that comes crashing to the ground. In that moment, like the promises of Christmas, these audacious things we talk about tonight, things like peace on earth, goodwill to men, tidings of comfort and joy, all of that feels like completely distant. I had hoped that I was gonna, that I was gonna find something at this shrine. I'd hoped that I would feel something, that I could that I could reconnect to something that was bigger than me, and what I found there left me cold and frustrated and mad. I'll be honest with you, sometimes I still find myself in a grotto kind of like that. Maybe you do too, whenever I'm irritated and snarky and petulant and provoked whenever I feel like fighting somebody or living out some kind of personal battlefield or another. I mean, sometimes the world feels like that, doesn't it? Like we live in a, in a world of perpetual warfare. This season of, of festive celebration can be kind of a tricky one for some of us if we're living in a place kind of like that, right? If we're down in some emotional or spiritual cave, some kind of grotto, whether that's the, the snarky fit that you threw when things didn't turn out the way you wished they had this evening, or whether your cave is a, is a different one, a place of of deep grief, a place of sadness. Christmas is a, is a tough time of year if you're asking hard questions, if you're searching for answers that are not coming easily. There is, I mean, there is great joy in this season, to be sure, but sometimes along with that joy comes a kind of a deep pain. I mean, there are people in our lives whom we love but see no longer. And this is a season sometimes when we feel that absence very keenly indeed. Whether your, whether your grotto is a snarky moment of meltdown or whether it's this deeper kind of pain, I think sometimes the promises of Christmas can feel a little bit thin. The Hebrew prophet Isaiah wrote 3,000 years ago, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. The people who walk in darkness are the ones who see the light, the ones who live in the land of deep darkness, those are the ones upon whom the light has shined. For the yoke of their burden, he writes, the, the bar across their shoulder, the rod of their oppressors, it's already been broken. The boots of the tramping warriors, all these garments soaked with blood, all of that is being burnt. It's nothing, it's gone, right? That is an incredible promise, especially for those of us who are caught up in in these various kinds of dark caves and grottos in which we find ourselves, our frustration, our anger, our moments of disillusion and fear. Because if Isaiah's right, this promise means that the dark old world of warfare and power-mongering and conflict doesn't get the final word. All the, all the posturing and the politicking, the pablum and the pretensions of powerful people, right? None of that matters, ultimately. Underneath all of it, is this luminous thread, this 3,000-year-old promise that has not yet run dry, despite the accumulated detritus of other people's devotion, the hopes and fears of all the years. Isaiah stewarded that thread 
3,000 years ago. And then the, the earliest followers of this, this guy, Yeshua, they picked it up. They wrapped it gently around the stories of a child born, in the tradition says, not in a palace, but in somebody's straw box, in a borrowed animal trough, in a backwater podunk town way off the map, the grotto of grief and despair. That's where the child comes, right? To the people who are walking in darkness. And somehow Isaiah says that child belongs to the darkness. That child belongs to those of us who live in the darkness. That means that child belongs to you and me. The child is for us. This is God's gift of hope to we dark ones caught in our caves because the child means that God is coming into that darkness alongside us. God's going to join us in that cave. This is not a, a rescue mission from on high, right? A, a superhero who sweeps down and carries you away to a better place. The answer to my questions, the answer to all of my, my doubts, God's response to my railing little 13-year-old tantrum is not to come and make everything okay again. God's response is to send me the thing that I least expect. I go into the shrine expecting to find a miracle, and I pout when I don't get my miracle. What I discover is that the miracle is actually waiting, very patiently indeed, to be born in me. The writer Annie Lamott says, I do not understand the mystery of grace. I do not understand the mystery of grace. Only this I know, that it meets us where we are, and it does not leave us where it found us. So I found my way out of that little grotto. Along with my fellow pilgrims, we made our way up out of that gaudy little cave and into the clear light of a courtyard outside of a monastery there at the Church of the Nativity. I sat there in the courtyard for a little while. I was waiting for everybody else to come up. And I'm still fuming, right? I'm processing this weird sense of anger and conflict and disillusionment. But Grace was not content to leave me where it found me. And I started watching all of these other pilgrims coming up out of the shrine. Some of them were like me. They looked a little bewildered, a little put out of shape, a little confused. Others were in tears, right? They had had a profound experience there in the grotto. Something powerful had happened. And so there we all were, right? The, the faithful and the faithless milling around this courtyard. That's actually the image that I took away from the Shrine of the Nativity that day. The miracle was not waiting for me in the cave. Who knows what did or didn't happen there a couple thousand years ago. That doesn't actually matter that much to me. The grace that I was looking for didn't find me in the place that I went looking for it. It found me in the courtyard alongside all of my fellow pilgrims, the sweet ones and the snarky ones, all of us together in this place where faithful and not so faithful of many different beliefs, people of many different religions, many different backgrounds and orientations and dispositions, all the different kinds of people who make up this weird and wonderful world, we were there together for an instant in this courtyard. And we were not, you know, we were not there for the same reasons. We were not expecting to find the same things. And we were not going to go home with the same stories. Any moment, we could have broken into fighting. That threat was always there, right? It's always there in the Holy Land. But for this one moment, with the fountain bubbling up in the middle of the courtyard, the strains of the monk's prayer coming from inside the church, for this one moment, my angry little meltdown in the grotto like faded away into the background because I was with, I was with people. We were together. And when I couldn't believe on my own, there were people there who could believe for me. And in the days maybe when belief is going to be a little bit harder for them, I was there to believe on their behalf. We might never see each, one, see each other again, 
But there was something bigger than all of our doubts and our firmly held convictions, everything that was, you know, that was separating us. There was something bigger that was holding us together in, in that moment. I think that thing is grace. It comes and finds us where we are. And it is not content to leave us stewing there. See, I think this service is a little bit like that courtyard. You know, maybe you, maybe you show up on Christmas Eve and you're hoping to find the shrine, the savior from outside who will come crashing down into your life and make everything bearable again. I hate to break it to you. In my experience, that is not how God works nine times out of 10. God comes not in fire and pyrotechnics and silver stars and magical force fields of spiritual power. God comes in these still small voices, the softness of a of a gurgling baby you hold in your arms, these tiny hands that reach out and grasp your finger. It's something tiny, vulnerable, unexpected. God comes to us nine times out of 10 when we look up from our petty little meltdowns and start paying attention to the other people in the courtyard with us. Maybe that's the secret to finding Christmas, especially when you gave up looking for it a long time ago. You find yourself in these, in these courtyards, in these gathering places, and you start looking around you, and what you see is the crazy diversity of the human family, the pious ones, the weird ones, the smelly ones, the sacred ones, all of us together making this, this beautiful, crazy quilt of grace that is as much a miracle as any sacred shrine or 14-pointed star. I do not understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets me where I am, down in the cave of disillusionment. It comes to me not just in my, in my moments of exaltation and ecstasy, it comes to me in these moments where I bump up hard against my snarky, petulant self and throw up my hands in defeat. Here I am again. That's where the Christ child finds me. If, if God can save me from my snarkiness, I have found a savior worth believing in because grace is not content to leave me in that cave. Grace brings me up out of the grotto, into the clear light of day, into the presence of all these beautiful people, all of us making our way, sometimes haltingly, sometimes begrudgingly, sometimes joyfully and expectantly to the city of God. So come, as the shepherds say, come, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has taken place, which God has made known to us. Let's leave behind our grottos of selfishness and separateness, all of these caves in which we find ourselves, and join this streaming angel band, singing the songs of Zion as they march along the way. A child has been born to us. A son has been given to us. That's the most precious thing you can receive. That child's name is called Emmanuel, not God with me. God with us and all of us, the pious and the petulant, we're all of us making our way to that manger in the hopes that we might find him once again born in us.